Open your Bibles. Today we are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. Perhaps you have a physical Bible with you today, or maybe you have a digital Bible. So open those up. I am in a brand new series. It started last week, and I've called that series Untangled because, well, the Corinthian church has some problems, some tangles, and God wishes to address those through Paul in order for them to be restored. And so we have so much in common with, again, the church in Corinth. We also have problems and tangles that God wishes to address. Maybe not the exact ones that they have, but similar ones. And we can learn from, obviously, uh, 1 Corinthians and Paul's words to them. Before we start today, I have to take you back years ago. I remember so clearly going on my first missions trip. My first missions trip was with another collection of people from really all over the country. They came from different parts of the country, different denominations, and we went to Panama. I will never forget being in some of the regions of Panama where we were preaching the gospel to people, and we were showing the Jesus film at that time. That was a big thing to do. And one of the islands that we went to was called the San Blas Islands, where the San Blas Indians live. Very, very primitive spot. To give you an idea... The island was probably the total size of downtown Edmonds. Um, it had no running water. It had no electricity. And so, again, it was, you know, kind of like taking a real step back in time. Uh, there was probably about 18 people on my team that year, uh, and we kind of broke up into some different teams as we went to different parts of the island. So, again, not a big space, but, you know, we come back together at night, but we kind of go off in different spots during the day. Well, you know, again, get your head in, in this picture here. I mean, there's literally kind of grass huts on the island. They're largely uh, fishermen because, you know, they have a big landmass of water around them, so they're constantly catching fish and stuff like that. They did a little bit of trading in town when they'd take boats across to the mainland, but for the most part, you know, this is the, the lifestyle that they lead. We are on our way to specific parts of the city, and I'm with four other people, and we come to this spot, and our jaws drop. Because we can't believe what we see. In this little area of a hut, they have a little store with a generator that's running and a little uh, refrigerator with cold Cokes. And we're like, we've hit the jackpot. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, you just, you go without so much during that little course of time and it's just like, oh, you know, we can't wait to have a Coke. Well, the problem was, is that they only had about, I can't remember the exact number. I'm going to say six Cokes. And, you know, there's four or five of us, so we, we were going to get a Coke no matter what. But now is the question of did we buy any Cokes for anybody else on the team, right? So, I mean, do others get to participate in this, but there's not enough. And I will never forget what happened. There was a lady on the trip with us, and the lady said with a very straight face, let's buy the Coke for the Baptists. I had never been a Baptist, but believe me, I was a Baptist at that moment. I could not have been a Baptist more quick than at that moment. And I remember I enjoyed the Coke that day, but I remember there was a certain side of me that said, uh, I'm not sure that's right. There's something, there's something not right about that. We're all Christians on this trip. And I mean, to divide over that, to divide the Cokes over the Baptist denomination, I just, it, there was just something that just stuck in me that said that's going to somehow break against the team's unity. Today's passage deals with factions or divisions within the church. And this is the first problem or tangle that the church faces that Paul wants to address. And so my Bible is open today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm picking up in verse 10. 
Let's read this passage. Uh, You follow along as I read. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree, and that there's no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Lord, as we enter into this book now and we address the first problem, Lord, we ask you to uh, quicken our hearts, quicken our minds for anything that you would want to say to us from your scriptures today. We love you. We want to serve you. We want to honor you. And so again, speak to us today with the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last week I outlined that Paul had heard certain things about Corinth, and he also had correspondence back and forth with some letters that we don't have today, but that correspondence was their appeal to say, would you tell us about this or that? And so the letter is a compilation of things that he'd heard about them and things that they asked about. Obviously, this first issue that he's going to deal with was something that he heard Because we, well, we have it in verse 11. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. So Chloe is the one who brings this to Paul's attention, and he chooses to address that with them. And again, I I won't say anything uh, about this other than that Chloe is kind of the tattler. And, you know, you could could imagine that somebody in the church would say, you know, Chloe, mind your own business. You know, you don't need to tattle to Paul about us. But Paul is not at all concerned about that. He's glad that she has told him about this. And again, we're not sure, is Chloe a member of the church? Did Chloe uh, travel from Ephesus to Corinth and then return back to Paul and tell him about it? We really don't know any of those things other than Chloe's the one who reports it. And Paul is happy that she has told him because it gives him the opportunity to correct this or address this in the church. Paul talks about quarreling in the church that is resulting in divisions. The quarreling is resulting in divisions. Divisions is, in this uh, passage is a very strong word, and the Greek word that's being used here is schismata, and that's where we get our word schism. And it literally means to cut apart. And so Paul is saying, if you don't address this, if you don't listen to this, this will cut apart your church and it will you know, arrive in the dishonor of God. So I really need for you to uh, address these schisms or these divisions that are among you. We might also call this rival factions. That would be another way of looking at this. And although this may not have been common in the church at that time, the church had had a, a fair level of peace and harmony as it was growing, it was obviously beginning to have some level of, of concern. And although it wasn't common in the church, it was very common in Corinth to have this level of partisanship or this level of fa- factions or rivals. And again, other scholars who've done some work at this time to say what was Corinth like, they said that there is a party spirit that was in Corinth. And by party spirit, I don't mean party on, dude. You know, I don't mean that kind of party. 
What I mean by party spirit is that there is a, a, a party-minded spirit, meaning that I like to associate with these kinds of people. I, I associate with these people and I don't associate with those people. Birds of a feather, you know, flock together. And there were things that were going on in Corinth around perhaps the social stratification. There were certain people that were well-connected and you know, others who weren't. There was issues like uh, education, those who were really educated and went to premier universities, those that weren't. There was a, a, a cosmopolitan feel to it, so a lot of different ethnic groups were in the city at this time. There was a financial separation between those that had and those that you know, had not. And honestly, that sounds a whole lot more like what we face today. I mean, you know, we have a very diverse collective group of people right here in Washington State, as well as in the United States, and it's always easiest to identify with individuals, to hang out with individuals that are like you. Although that's a common human experience, Paul tells us, and God tells us, that the gospel's given us a brand new freedom, and that brand new freedom allows us to interact with people of all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic groups, all different races, all different languages, all of those things come to a unity in Christ. And so again, he's saying, uh, what's happening here with your divisions is of great concern to me. Well, today, Paul's going to explain why these rival factions are a problem, why they're deadly, and why he is stepping in to give them some remedies to the factions that they face. In the passage today, I want to uh, uh, address those issues or those factions that were in Corinth and maybe with us today, those schisms, and uh, I want to address also how Paul gives a remedy for that or a solution for that because Corinth had obviously followed these personalities and they'd taken their eyes off of Christ and, and were failing to go to the foot of the cross anymore. And so, again, Paul wants to address that. Here's what I want to do to begin with. I want to look at the four factions that Paul addresses. Those are very easy to find. They're in verse 12. They're all in one spot. And this is what he says. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And so he's saying there's four groups or four schisms that have happened, four divisions that are within the church, and I want to address each one of those. What might those have been? Well, there's a group of scholars that say that there was largely home churches at that time, and so the home churches may have established a bit of an identity to each one of them. And one author said something I really liked. He said, a physically divided church tended almost inevitably to become a mentally divided church. So if you were just hanging out with a group of people in a home church and you didn't see the others, it might be natural that there were some divisions that would develop. However, I think there's something else going on underneath this that is a catalyst for the divisions that they were feeling. And that's what I want to do is cover each one of the groups in order in the way that Paul does. And we'll start off with the Paul group. So the Paul group is a group that, well, you can imagine there, there would be a following around Paul because Paul's the one that established the church. He founded the church. So many people came to know Christ with Paul. They walked out of darkness into light. And so, you know, Paul's a no-brainer. It's like, you know, who wouldn't want to be associated with Paul? I mean, he would be a, a good guy to be associated with. But I think there's something more going on with the Paul group than that because remember, Paul emphasized freedom in Christ over the law. So he was saying the law is dead, we now have freedom in Christ, and so he was emphasizing that. 
And again, what we're going to find out later in the book is, is that some people take that liberty into extremes and they say, wow, we have so much freedom we can practically sin here and we're okay. And you know, something that Paul never would have said, he said, no, if you understand grace, it's, it's, it's bringing you away from that. But these people, again, would have been emphasizing the tremendous freedom they have. Now, again, they probably were in reaction to another group that was in the church, and I think it was likely the Peter group. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want to take these in order. And so that's the first one is the Paul group that uh, is associated with Paul as the founder of the church, and they're also associated with the freedom that's in Christ. The Apollos group was one that formed around the ministry and the personhood of Apollos. And again, I want you to be using your Bibles today. So I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 18. Turn left in your Bible and go back, I don't know, a dozen pages or so, and you'll find the book of Acts. And uh, I'm right at the tail end of the book of Acts, starting in verse 24. This is what it says. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him that the way of God God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so this is Luke's account of the person of Apollos who was in Corinth again at this time. And what we know about Apollos is the guy's a learned guy. He is from Alexandria in Egypt, where, which is one of the main uh, university settings of this time. He's a very eloquent speaker. And so it's just, he's a guy that's very easy to listen to. And so again, he's got this following that says, well, you know, hey, if I'm going to hang out with anybody, I want to hang out with this Apollos guy. Paul's not even with us, you know? I mean, hey, he's gone now. But Apollos is here and and, you know, he just speaks my language. I mean, he's a learned guy. I like him. And so, again, there was this group that was a kind of a personality cult that was forming around Apollos. And that's very easy to have happen, especially with individuals who are well-spoken and well-educated. I have an example for you. I need to step on a few toes this morning. And I have an example for you of a person that I think could fit this category. And I want to bring to you the person of Ben Shapiro. Uh, I have a picture of Ben Shapiro up here for you today. And Ben Shapiro has his own daily talk show. He's a very learned guy. He's very quick-witted, if you've ever heard him speak. And he's got a very large Christian following. Uh, he, you know, he, he has a lot of people that listen to him on his podcast and on his uh, TV program. Uh, but Ben Shapiro, I want to remind you, is not a Christian. Although we might agree with a ton of things that Ben Shapiro says, Ben Shapiro is, is not a Christian. And he doesn't share faith with us. And I know, again, I'm not down on, on some of the things that Ben Shapiro stands for or some of the things that he says. I could be in, in concert with many of those. But it's easy to fall into the cult following of somebody like a Ben Shapiro because he, again, is so, so quick-witted and so good. But again, I remind you today, Ben Shapiro, you know, not in the faith as well, is not the guy that died for you. He's not, he's not Jesus, 
And he's not worthy of our devotion. Maybe he's worthy of listening to at times, but he's not worthy of our ultimate devotion and certainly not worthy of dividing with somebody else over a Ben Shapiro. All right, so that's the Apollos group. Let's take the next step into what's called the Cephas group. And I want to remind you that Cephas is the name, an Aramaic name, that was given to Peter by Jesus. Uh, In Aramaic, Cephas means rock. And so he labeled Peter or gave Peter the name of rock. And so when Paul says that there's the Cephas group, he means, again, the Apostle Peter group. Now, again, it's unclear whether or not Peter ever visited Corinth. We don't know that. But we do know that everybody in Corinth would have known of Peter because, well, he's the leader of the apostles back in Jerusalem. So he's kind of the head of the church at that time. And Peter would have had a lot of sway. He would have had a lot of authority as a result of that. And there's something else I think that's going on with Peter here. He is the one that represents people's concerns about keeping the law. Now, we're going to discover in later chapters that there's this issue again of eating meat sacrificed to idols, and there's some that are concerned that they would become religiously stained if they did that. Those people are probably likely a part of the Peter group, and they're interested in kind of keeping the rules, and they have a little tendency maybe towards some legalism. It's told us by Paul in Galatians chapter 2, he even had a disagreement with Peter, And it was over Peter starting to eat only with uh, Jews because he thought that it would religiously stain him if he ate with the Gentiles. So Paul and Peter even have a little bit of, of tension in the early church. And so again, the group that's probably around Peter is this group that's this legalism group. And again, I have an example of that, ironically, related to Peter from a couple of years ago. Denise and I, for our 30th anniversary, got to go to Italy And it was a wonderful trip. We had a wonderful time. And one of the places that we went to was the Basilica of St. Peter or St. Peter's Basilica. I have a picture here of what the Basilica looks like. It is gorgeous. Believe me that there's a fraction of people from the day that we went there. It was like wall-to-wall people. You could barely even walk because there were so many people at at St. Peter's Basilica. But what most people don't know is that there's something happening two stories down below that. And two stories down below that, you have to know ahead of time that you need this ticket to go down there. And fortunately, I did some homework and knew that. Two stories below that basilica is what's thought to be the tomb of Peter. Now, when you get down there, it's kind of a series of kind of catacombs and walkways. And you kind of make your way into a spot in which there's kind of a cave or a little alcove. And that's where they used to kind of place bodies in the ancient world in order to have them decay. Well, this has been excavated, and, you know, there's no bones there or anything like that. But it's the spot that's thought to be, again, the burial spot of Peter, of the Apostle Peter. Now, what was really interesting for us was, again, we're down there, and about 40 feet away from that is a chapel. And the chapel is ornate with gold, and it's a small chapel, maybe only about the size here of, of kind of the, the ministry center from me over to the wall. So it's, it wasn't big, but it was thought to be this sacred spot because, again, it was the spot where Peter had been buried. And they said it was one of the most sacred spots for Catholics to go and pray, especially, you know, Pope when, in moments where he really needed some wisdom would go to that spot and pray. And so, again, it was this sacred spot, well, because it was believed to be the burial spot for Peter. You know, the Lord hears us wherever we pray. (laughs) That's one of the wonderful things about our Lord. Because you don't have to be at that spot for him to hear you. The Lord hears the African man that's in the savannah. The Lord hears the Asian man in the bustling city. 
The Lord hears the old, the Lord hears the young. And, you know, we don't make a rule, as it were, out of saying you get closer connected with God if you're at this spot or that spot. And that's one of the things that's the beauty of the cross and the beauty of Christ. Once upon a time, you had to go to that temple. And now the temple really has come to you in the form of Jesus. And so it's so much easier perhaps to keep a faith in which there's all these rules and they're black and white and you know you do or don't. And that's easier than actually following the Spirit. But God has said it's a better thing if you follow the Spirit. It's the better thing if you listen to me. And perhaps the Peter group had fallen into that trap of really counting on some more rules rather than following Christ. All right, there's one more group, and it's the Christ group. And everybody right away says, the Christ group, everybody wants to be a part of that. And what's the problem here? This is an easy no-brainer. This is the one that's the good group, right? Well, not so quick. Perhaps this is the one that had also formed a a faction. And this faction may have been the one that was against all the others because they said, man, I see all those others and they're following humans and so we're so much more above that. And, you know, the Christ group was probably ones that were against that kind of hero worship of the other uh, apostles or the other leaders. And, you know, so they arrived at the spot in their minds of like, well, who, who really needs leaders anyway? Leaders are just kind of overblown. And so we are just individuals that just follow Christ. We have a level of independence. We have a level of, uh, uh, we don't appeal to any human leaders. We just, uh, we just listen to the Lord on our own. And these individuals might feel as though they have a hotline to God, that they really are the ones that say, well, the Lord told me. And how do you ever disagree with somebody who says the Lord told me? That just ends up being something like, well, okay, I guess we're going to go with that. And they're the, considered more or less the Green Berets. And the rest of the church is kind of rather intimidated by them because it's like, wow, they just seem to be on a, a spiritual plane that's at a di- very different spot. And they appear at times to be above reproach or above analysis. And so again, that could be a, a group that was Uh, functioning at this time and would have been called the Christ group because they didn't need anybody else or they didn't need any other human leaders. Those are the four groups that Paul is addressing and he's saying there's effects that those four groups are having. It's bringing division among you. So perhaps you have already maybe identified maybe where you may fit in this or maybe you're just saying this, Corinth was really messed up and I'm so glad we're not Corinth, right? Well, maybe not so quick. Uh, I really want to be gentle in what I say next, and I really want to be compassionate in what I say next. But saints, brothers and sisters, I think there is a direct application to us in the political heat that our country is feeling right now. And it's so easy to say, my religious affiliation somehow now begins to affect my religious affiliation. I'm for Trump, or I'm for Biden, or I'm for Bernie, and therefore I'm against those individuals that are not. Or maybe you associate with, I know who I'm, I don't know who I'm for, but I know who I'm against. You know, and I'm against Inslee, or I'm against Trump, or I'm against Biden, and that begins to filter into the way that you treat other people that don't share that perspective with you. We're even down now to TV channels. Uh, It's CNN or MSNBC uh, against Fox. And again, you have a a breaking point with somebody else over what TV uh, station they, they listen to for their news. And I'm here to tell you, we cannot let our political parties divide us in Christ. 
There's something more important than all of that, and it's our unity that we have in Christ, and we can't let those things divide us. That's exactly what Paul's talking about when I say divisions or rivalries or schisms, and if we're not careful, those begin to infect the church and those degrade unity. I need somebody to say amen. I know that's hard to hear, but it's what's the reality of us today. I have one other example And I think it's our posture towards COVID. We have those that are the maskers and those that are the anti-maskers. Those that say, you know, hey, I want everybody to mask up at all times. And those that say, oh, it's a bunch of hooey and let's all take these things off. Or maybe dealing with COVID, it's those that are comfortable to be here and those that are at home. And we could so easily divide over that. And, you know, this is going to be a thing that we get past. (laughs) There's a day in which we're not dealing with that anymore And we can't let that kind of thing divide us also in the church. We have to have patience with each other. We have to extend grace to each other. And we have to stay in the thing and major on what are the majors. There was a young rabbi who had a serious problem. It was his first synagogue he'd ever led. And during the Friday service, he noticed that half the congregation stood for the prayers and half of them remained seated. And each one shouted at the other, insisting that theirs was the true tradition. Well, the young rabbi didn't know what to do, so he went and finally sought out the 99-year-old rabbi that had been in that synagogue for years and years. The man was in a a resting home now, or a, a senior home now, and he found the old rabbi, and he said, so tell me, what is the tradition for the congregation? Is it standing or is it sitting during the prayers? And, you know, the man said, ah, yes, I see. He said, so is it standing? He said, no. And he said, well, obviously, then it's sitting. He said, Well, no. And he said, well, if it's not standing or not sitting, what is it? Because right now, it's complete chaos. Half the people stand and shout, and the other half sit and scream. And the old rabbi said, ah, that is the tradition. (laughs) It's way too easy to divide over little things, to let little things become big problems. And the four schisms had the potential of being very harmful to the church. And so Paul says, I want to identify those and I want to give you a remedy for it. I'm going to kind of race through this little piece here right now. I want to touch on it. But he is going to deal with three questions and three sames. you'll, You'll understand that by the time I say it. But three questions, three sames. Let me cover those in order. The first thing is he deals with three questions. And the questions are all right here in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So there's the three questions. First of all, is Christ divided? He's saying, is Christ parsed up and everybody gets a little piece of him? No, Christ is whole, and he's in all, regardless of who you are, and he is whole in the body of Christ, and let's not divide him up. That's something that, you know, it was never meant to be, and and Christ is not that. So let's not divide over over, over little things and divide Christ in that way. Was Paul crucified for you? Answer, no. So I mean, again, all of these expect an answer of no. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Uh, uh, You know, there's only one that's been crucified, one that's risen again, that's Jesus. Paul never accomplished that, so he doesn't deserve that allegiance. Paul uses himself as, by the way, the negative example here, I think as a show of humility. And then he says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
So did, did you baptize in the name of Paul, meaning that you took on the character and the authority of Paul? No, he answers. No, 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 that's not what happened. You took on the authority and the character of Jesus' uh, baptism. And so that's, that's who you were baptized into. And so he's saying here, understand who Christ is and the unity that's found in Christ. And, and you'll quickly say, wow, those, those, those things are wrong for us to do. And so he waves this in front of the church like a smelling salt and say, hey, come to your senses. Learn what you're doing by having these divisions and you're attacking here the division of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, as well as the baptism of Christ. And so understand that. There's also three uh, uh, sayings that he uses and that's found in verse 10. And I appeal to you, he says, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, I want to come back to that word, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So I want you to notice, same mind, same judgment, two sames. There is another same in this passage that you can't see because of the translation, and it's the word agree. Agree literally means to say the same thing. So he's saying, you have three sames. You say the same thing, you have the same mind, and you have the same judgment. There's three things that make you the same. And he's saying, I want you to be unified in this way. I want you to have the same language, as it were, the same mind, as it were, the same judgment, as it were. It, means, it doesn't mean that you can't disagree on certain things. There's still Republicans, there's still Democrats, there's still independents. We understand all that. But we are submitting ourselves to the personhood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and those things become the operating things that guide our conversations and our actions with each other. And so we don't come to the spot where we're belittling each other, we're looking down on each other, or worse, we're moving away from each other, but that we're finding that sameness that is given to us by Christ and we're operating out of that with each other. All right, let me bring this to a close here today. Uh, the first thing I want you to hear today is that uh, I realize I've been here, I have more experience, I have more uh, tenure as it were, but I believe in all of the other guys that preach. I believe in Eric, I believe in Nick, I believe in James one day if he chooses to come up. I believe in the elders. And I never want to arrive at a spot in which uh, if Brian's not preaching, the preaching's not really happening. That, that would be wrong-headed completely. It's whoever is opening the scriptures is giving us a service, is giving us guidance, is giving us teaching. And I would never want that to be the case in which there's only one voice and my voice. I, I, I want to stay very far away from that because, again, our allegiance is first and foremost to God and Christ. And so, again, I, I want to be careful with that. Maybe this passage is allowing you to do a little soul searching on ways that perhaps some divisions could be coming up with you and other Christians over matters that are either political or COVID-related or something else, who knows, that we face. And you might find your, yourselves in a space where it's like, wow, yes, I think I could divide over some people with that. And maybe you want to take the uh, opportunity to redouble your efforts in order to pursue unity right now. I want to close with a great story today about two people you'd never think would have a close relationship. And it's two former Supreme Court members. And I want to remind you about Ruth Bader Ginsburg who recently died I think just last year in 2020 and then Antonin Scalia and again those two are at opposite sides of the political spectrum they couldn't be further apart one liberal one conservative and they just don't share a lot in common 
But what most people don't know is that those two were the closest of friends. Did you know that Anson and Scalia gave roses to Ruth Bader Ginsburg on every one of her birthdays? They had a very, very close relationship, and it said that Ruth Bader Ginsburg loved Anson and Scalia because of his reverence for the law. So that's what they shared in common. Anthony Scalia was asked one time about being friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And they're like, how can you do that? She's so different from you. And he says, I attack ideas. I don't attack people. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. If you can't, agree to sep- if you can't separate the two, you better get another job. You better get another job. I think those two are a tremendous example to us as Christians, maybe even as Americans. And it is incumbent upon us as Christians to redouble our efforts to be unified in Christ. That's what's going to live with us for eternity. All these little things, they're just child's play. They're the things that that ultimately aren't going to matter. They probably won't even matter, matter 10 years from now. But our being in Christ is what's going to matter. And that's what's going to tell the world that we can come together with all kinds of diversity all kinds of different people. And we can share oneness, sameness in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word that was taught to the church in 50 AD, uh, 2,000 years ago. Lord, we know that your word stands true over all time. It never returns void. And today, you've accomplished that once again. We are called in this world of increasing divisiveness to be unified in Jesus. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, lead us into that space. We love you. We want our lives to count for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.